Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning, and I am so thankful uh, for the Word of God, and I'm thankful for how it applies into each of our lives. And I'm glad to know that no matter what we face, no matter what situations we go through, that we have a God who has answers for us. And I'll never forget sitting down with a friend of mine years ago, just starting a Bible study. And uh, it was a friend who uh, trusted Christ here uh, because of one of our Easter services, got saved here, and we started discipleship right after that. And I, I remember sitting down with him, probably about our third or fourth time of getting in the Word of God. And he sat down, and he said, Dennis, this is amazing. And I said, what's amazing? He's like, it's amazing to me that the Bible literally has answers for every area of my life. He's like, I was thinking this last week about relationships and kids, and I was thinking this last week about my job, and I was thinking about, he said, and the Bible answers everything. You know, the Bible even answers questions that we don't know to ask. There's questions that we don't know to ask, and yet the Bible gives answers for it. And so I hope this morning, wherever you're at in life, that you would come with a spirit that just says, God, speak to me today. God, give me your answers. Maybe I don't even know the question that I need to give out this morning. God, please speak into my heart, and I believe that the Lord will. If you've been around for any length of time, if you've been alive for, I don't know, 10 years or more, which would be about everybody in here, you have probably heard the statement, you've probably heard the statement the honeymoon is over, or wait until the honeymoon is over. Often this statement is, uh, it's spoken as a way of kind of just saying, hey, just wait until reality sets in. Oh, you just wait until reality sets in. This is usually spoken from that longtime married couple to the newlyweds. Oh, you've been married two months? You've been married three months? Oh, just wait. Just wait. The honeymoon's almost over. Uh, it's said often maybe from uh, the coworker to the new employee who's loving the job. They're just loving the job. And they're like, man, this is awesome. I could do this all the time. And the person who's been there for 15 years says, yeah, yeah, just wait. Yeah, your honeymoon's almost over. It's from the, uh, the parents who have five children to the family expecting their first. Remember when you were expecting your first child? Man, you're so excited, and the ladies are thinking about names and what the, what's the, the, the decorations are going to be like and getting so excited over everything. And that person with five kids goes, yeah. Wait till they're two months old. The person with the two-year-old says, yeah, wait for the terrible twos. The one with teenagers says, yeah, wait till you have four teens in the home. If you're Brian and Corey, you say, yeah, wait till you have eight in the home. You know what they're saying? Hey, just wait till reality sets in. I remember having one of these moments, and you've, you've had them, no doubt, uh, in your life, but I remember one of the moments of reality setting in and the honeymoon being over, so to speak, in my own life. And no, Hannah and I are still on our honeymoon. 17 years in, okay, that was fail. <laughs> Epic fail. I thought I'd get more out of that. But I remember when I was in high school, when I was in high school, I've shared the story before that I got, I got coaxed 
into cross country. Mike Hanby was the, the coach of the cross country team. And he said to me, hey, Dennis, you should, you should be in cross country. And I remember, well, why should I be in cross country? He said, because it'll get you ready for football. He lied. <laughs> cross country was miserable. We got the football season and I was excited. I was like, yes, I'm excited about football. We had our normal uh, few days of practice without pads, just kind of getting to know each other, kind of getting to know the coaches, getting to know the teammates. And I was loving it until the coach said, next week, we're going to two-a-days. Now, how many of you have played football before? How many of you are familiar with two-a-days? Then you're familiar with misery. Because two-a-days, what two-a-days are is the two weeks or three weeks right before school, you go to two practices a day. So you have one practice sometimes at six in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning, and you have another practice at two or three in the afternoon. And basically, two-a-days are there to help you know, number one, you are really out of shape. Number two, your coaches absolutely hate you. And number three, you should have just gotten a extra job and worked after, or had, had, a, had a spring, or excuse me, a fall job to make make money so you could buy a car. That's what two-a-days taught you. Like, this is pointless, and I hate life. <laughs> Maybe that's just my experience, but there are other people that will tell you two-a-days were miserable. You know what happened? The first few days of football practice, it was exciting. The first few days of football practice, man, you're getting to know the players and the coaches and the plays, and you're excited about the possibilities, and then two-a-days hit, and you realize, what did I get myself into? And of course, if you were in a home like ours, my parents didn't let me quit anything. So I'd come home complaining and sore and getting ready to throw up. And my dad would be like, well, you better shower up because you're going back tomorrow. I'm like, dad, please don't make me. He's like, hey, you signed up for it. No, no, I was, I was coerced into this one too. Blame, blame Mike Hanby, blame him. And he never let me quit. Here's just the thought this morning that in every one of our lives, there's gonna be times when reality sets in. So my question for us today is, what do we do when reality sets in? Oh, I'm not talking about two-a-days. I'm not talking about even about football. I'm talking about what do you do in life when spiritually you make a great decision for God? When spiritually you make the decision, you know what? I'm tired of living the way I'm living. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God. Maybe you make the decision to step out by faith and, and tell that coworker about the Lord. Or you make the decision to step out and we're going we're gonna to start going to church. And you make those decisions. Sooner or later, the honeymoon's going to be over and reality is going to set in. Well, why is that? The reason that is, is because no matter who you are, no matter who you are, every time you take a step of faith for God, the devil's going to fight. Opposition is going to come. Reality is going to set in. And there's going to be some good days, but there will also be some rough days. And the fact of the matter is, with our two-a-days in football, the two-a-days were miserable, but we had some good days of practice. Some of the games we lost, but some of the games we won. And in your life, there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. But when the downs come, when the opposition comes, when you're staring opposition in the face, what do you do? As we come back to our study in Nehemiah chapter number four, we're going to look into this passage and see the, the children of Israel and Nehemiah specifically having reality set in. 
reality kind of hits them in the face. If you've been with us in our series, then you'll recall what's taken place in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's a Hebrew man that lives in Susa or Shushan. This would be the winter capital of the media Persian empire. If you'll recall the children of Israel, they have not been their own nation for years. They haven't been uh, Israel for years. As a matter of fact, over 70 years ago, they were taken into captivity. The Assyrians first conquered Israel. Then you have Babylon that conquered Assyria and Israel. And then you have the Media Persian Empire that conquered Babylon and Israel. And so this, the people of Israel, they haven't known freedom. The people of Israel, they haven't known uh, their own status as a nation, if you will. And, and because of that, many of them have gotten taken into captivity. So many of them are in Shushan, the palace, and one of those would be Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah's story is different from anybody else's because Nehemiah had actually never been raised in, in, in uh, Jerusalem. He had never been raised in Israel. He was a Hebrew by, by, uh, um, by birth, but not necessarily nationality, if you know what I'm saying, and he, he had never been there. But what takes place in Nehemiah chapter 1, just to set this all up and get us all on the same page. Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah serving as the king's cupbearer. He was a servant to the king. He's there and, and in uh, Susa the palace. And the Bible tells us that his brother Hanani, Hanani travels 850 miles from Susa eastward, going, or excuse me, west, going to the city of Jerusalem. Hanani travels, does a little trip, comes back. Nehemiah says, hey, Hanani, how are things going? What are the people like in Jerusalem? Uh, what's the city like? And, and Hannah and I begin to share with him the burden, the burden that the people were under. And if you recall, Hannah and I shared with Nehemiah, hey, the people, they're oppressed. The people are in uh, affliction. The people are suffering. They are, they are a reproach. And the city walls are broken down. The gates are burnt. And Nehemiah, he began to be burdened. He wasn't burdened for walls. Listen, don't miss that. Those of you that know the Bible, don't miss it. The book of Nehemiah is not about walls. The book of Nehemiah is about the glory of God and his people. That's what the book of Nehemiah is about. And so here you have Nehemiah getting burdened about, about the people. And so Nehemiah seeks God. And for four and a half months, Nehemiah waits for an opportunity. And finally, the opportunity comes. And Nehemiah is granted permission by the king to travel the 850 miles into Jerusalem to help build the wall. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 8 records for us that Nehemiah said, Hey, it was according to the good hand of my God upon me. Hey, God was all over this, helping me, Nehemiah, take steps forward for God. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll recall that when Nehemiah got there. He scouted out the city. He just traveled around and looked at the city. No one knew what he was doing. Really, you have to wonder. The people there are probably kind of curious. What is the, the king's cupbearer doing here? What is the entourage doing here? Remember, the king had sent a military guard with him. And so Nehemiah gets there. The people wondering what's going on finally after the third day. Nehemiah shares the burden with them. Hey, listen. He says to the people, hey, God brought me here. God has opened up the doors. 
God has sent me because with permission and with all the supplies and God has sent me with the, uh, the good hand of the king because God has been involved in all of this. I'm here to build this wall. We will no longer be a reproach. We will no longer be an affliction. And he begins to tell them everything that God has done. And Nehemiah chapter two and verse number 18 records for us the incredible response of the people of Israel when they said, let us rise up and build. Hey, we're behind you, Nehemiah. God is in this. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And so the people of Israel got to work. And last week, last week, we were in Nehemiah chapter three. What an incredible chapter. You say, what's so incredible about it? Because it's a chapter filled with a bunch of random people who could have felt overlooked and unimportant And yet God said, you're not overlooked and you're not unimportant in my book. Man, aren't you thankful that God doesn't overlook you and you're not unimportant to God? Man, no matter in this life who could look at you and say, you know, ah, they're not going to amount to anything. Ah, you know, what's their life? And the scoffers that come, the critics that come, even that we're going to see today, no matter what people say, God says, I see you, I know you, I love you, and I have a plan for you. And you'll never be overlooked. You'll never be unimportant. And we watched as these people, no-name people, some rulers, some uh, pharmacists, the apothecaries or doctors, the, the goldsmiths, the locksmiths. I mean, all these different types of people, a cupbearer, servants, farmers, all these people join in. And what did they do? Man, they began to build the wall. Oh, but they weren't just building a wall. Building a wall was the task. No, they actually embraced the cause. What was the cause? Hey, this is about the glory of God and this is about his people. Well, I gotta be honest. Sometimes I wish Nehemiah chapter three would just skip to the end of Nehemiah chapter six. Because in Nehemiah chapter four and Nehemiah chapter five in the beginning of Nehemiah chapter number six, we're going to see that the struggle becomes real. The struggle becomes real. Reality sets in. Take your Bible, if you would, and let's go to Nehemiah chapter number four. And I want you to notice reality setting in. In Nehemiah chapter number four this morning, Nehemiah chapter four this morning, and let's stand. Let's do this. Let's stand together. We're just going to read excuse me, a few verses. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we are going to speak through the entire chapter today, and I think it'll be a help to us. But Nehemiah chapter four, beginning in verse number one, notice what the word of God says. But it came to pass, but it came to pass. My mom, my, my grandfather, excuse me, my mom's stepdad all the time, he would always say, remember, remember in the Bible, there's the phrase, it came to pass. That's a good statement to know when bad trials are in our life. Why? It'll come to pass. But it's also good to know when we're seemingly in kind of a cruising season, things are smooth, it'll come to pass. And that's this one. Things have been smooth up until now. They've had a little bit of hurt. They've had a little bit of criticism. But really, Nehemiah, the people of Israel, things are about to get rocky. Reality's about to set in. It came to pass that when Samballot, Samballot was a Samaritan, he heard that we builded the wall. He was wroth, and he took great indignation and, and mocked the Jews. 
And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will, make, will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, he was by him. He, he said, he joined in. Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Man, now they're starting to face a little bit of rebuke and they're starting to face a little bit of, of uh, antagonization. They're starting to face a little bit of ridicule. Skip down to verse number seven. Verse seven, but it came to pass that when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, oh, wait, wait, wait. It was just Samballat and Tobiah. Now, if you did the research and we won't highlight everything today, it's all the surrounding people. Everybody surrounding Jerusalem, now they're all in on it. Now it's the Samaritans and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. When they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. And notice the next verse. And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Skip down to verse number 10. And Judah... Okay, now this would be people of Israel. This would be some Hebrew people who lived there in Jerusalem. Notice what happens. And Judah said to Nehemiah, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. Hey, we're weak. Hey, we're running out of energy. And there is much rubbish. Man, look at this trash. Look at these walls so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came and said, uh, they said unto us 10 times, that just means repeatedly, they just kept coming back and telling us, from all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Hey, the enemy is always gonna be upon you. What we find taking place in just these few verses that we read in Nehemiah chapter number four is reality is setting in. It's not smooth sailing anymore. No, up until chapter four, it's been uh, pretty, pretty simple. It's been pretty easy, if you will. I mean, there's been some adversaries and there's been some challenges, but man, up till Nehemiah chapter four, it's been smooth sailing, not now. Now reality sets in. Why? Because ridicule starts. Intimidation starts discouragement starts. The spirit of defeat starts in. Now, opposition, reality is staring them in the face. A full-scale opposition for what they're doing. And you just mark it down today. Mark it down. We're going to say this and we'll pray. Whenever, whenever you step out to accomplish anything for the Lord or with the Lord, opposition will come. If you want to carry a chair for God, the devil's gonna fight it. One man said it this way, if you wanna build an outhouse for God, the devil's gonna fight it. Whatever you wanna do, the smallest little things that you wanna do for God, the devil's gonna fight it. And maybe the devil's fighting your life right now. This morning, I'm gonna give you just a few thoughts from our passage in Nehemiah 4. What do you do when reality sets in? What do you do when opposition is staring you in the face? Lord, thank you for the day. I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that every single person here would understand that you have truth for them. 
I pray, Lord, that every single one of us would recall and know that that you desire to speak to us out of your word, and Lord, that you want to help us, that you want to help us make decisions this week in understanding that opposition is going to come, challenges are going to uh, face us, that reality is going to set in, but Lord, that you have set up some great principles in your word for us to do that would help us continue moving forward for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that you'd help us right now and give us your wisdom as we go through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. There's an old quote out there from a man years ago that uh, it's just kind of an interesting quote, but I think it's a good one for us to start with today. It simply said this, that, uh, nope, not that one. There we go. It's, what happened here? Put it on if you have not met the devil today. Can you see that one? All right, we'll do that. It's this, if you've not met the devil today, you're probably heading in the same direction. An old preacher said that years ago. Hey, if you haven't met the devil today, you're probably going in the same direction. What was he simply getting across? He's getting across this truth that in your life and my life, opposition is going to happen. Reality is going to set in. Things are going to become challenging. And so when they do, what do we do? When, when, when opposition comes and reality sets in, what do we do? What do we do when the honeymoon is over? We won't take the time to go through all of this, but as you look at the passage before us today, what we find taking place in Nehemiah chapter 4 is opposition sets in. We find opposition setting in. Uh, first, in verses 1 through 3, it's the opposition of ridicule. The opposition of ridicule. This man, Sam Ballot, he uh, hears that the wall is really being built and they've unified and there's work being done and action being taken and, and he gets pretty ticked off. The, the Bible actually says, if you look at verse number one, when he heard that they built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation. Man, he was mad. He was furious. Well, why would he be furious? That would be maybe my question. Why would he be furious? Well, we have to know that Samballat was one of the rulers of the area. Now he's no longer in control of these Jewish people that are there in Jerusalem. Now he's no longer uh, uh, flexing his political muscles, if you will, and having power over them. No, now he's saying, hey, they're rising up. They're, they're building. And we got to remember, they weren't doing this in a, as a sign of rebellion. They weren't doing this as a sign of like, oh yeah, well, a fist in your face to the media Persian empire, to the local rulers. No, they were doing this because they knew that if the walls stayed uh, torn down, that they as a people were a reproach to the name of God. Why? Man, those walls being built up protected the people on the inside and they were in great affliction and they knew this isn't about walls, it's about God and it's about the people. And, and even Sam Ballot, I think even the enemies knew that. And so Sam Ballot shows up on the scene, and what does he do? He chooses the, the message of verbal warfare, and he chooses the message of words. We won't go through all of them, but when you look at verse number two, he basically is tearing the people down. They're feeble Jews. They're weak. You're weaklings. What are you going to do? Will you fortify yourselves? The implication is you don't have any experience. You can't build You can't protect yourself. You're not able. You're feeble. Will they sacrifice? What are they hoping to accomplish by this? Are they hoping to get something from their God? Are they hoping to develop some sort of new worship in this city that is broken down? Well, he asked, will they make an end to the day? That question, do they have any clue? Do they have any clue 
what they're undertaking? Do they have any clue the scope of this project? He asks the question, will they revive the stones? Will they revive the stones? Basically, he's just blasting the town. Look at this garbage dump. Man, look at this place. It's a, it's a heap of trash. What are you going to do? He takes it further by basically being joined in by Tobiah. And Tobiah asks the question in verse number three, even if a fox goes up, the wall's going to break. Even the smallest animal in the area can, can take this one down. And opposition of, of ridicule. Isn't it interesting that when you and I try to set out to do anything for God, critics come out of the woodwork. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, think about it. You start going to church and you go to work on Monday and they, they say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? I say, actually, I, I went to church. <laughs> wait, 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 you? Wait, no, seriously, you went to church. Why? What, what do you need a crutch? I, I mean, and what do they do, man? They begin to ridicule. And you maybe make a decision for the Lord and, and your family says, oh, you're a hypocrite. And you go guilty because we're all hypocrites. We all have things that are hypocritical in our life. And here's the truth that critics, critics are going to call you out on everything. They're going to ridicule you. They're going to ridicule the decisions you made. They're going to ridicule the decisions you make as a parent investing Jesus into your family. They're going to, make your, make, they're going to uh, criticize your decisions to give. To, you're giving to a building fund? Why are you giving to a church? Why are you? What is that? That's just critics coming. We see that taking place here. Opposition by ridicule. When you take a step of faith for God, the devil's going to fight. So here's the question that we're going to ask and then answer today. What do you do? When reality sets in, opposition is staring you in the face. I want you to notice, first of all today, you go to God in prayer. Notice, first of all, you go to God in prayer. Notice what Nehemiah did. Verse 1 through 3 Opposition is coming, ridicule is coming. No longer is it smooth sailing. Now they're, they're facing Sambalat and Tobiah making fun of them and, and ridiculing the, the decisions that they are making. Look at verse number four. Verse number four and verse number five, notice what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says, hear, O our God. Hear, O our God, for because we're despised. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. You know what Nehemiah's first response was? God, I'm turning to you. God, here's some ridicule. God, here's opposition. God, the smooth sailing has stopped. God, the trial is here. And so, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn to you. Hear, O oh God. God, here's my prayer. You know what his answer was? God, I need you. God, I want your presence. God, we need your hand in this. God, you need to get in on this. And if you go through and you read his prayer, his prayer is a pretty heavy prayer. Basically, what Nehemiah is praying, if you look at it, he says, uh, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Get them. 
That's in the Hebrew. <laughs> All those words just means get them. That's what he's praying. Hey, God, strike them down. God, turn them, turn them against themselves. God, you come in. God, this is your project. God, we want you. But you know what? I see this morning that Nehemiah, he's expressing some frustrations. And you want to know the truth? God didn't do anything that he asked in this passage. Did, did you know that? You go through that. Uh, God, God, didn't, God didn't answer it the way that Nehemiah asked it. Nehemiah was simply expressing some frustrations, but he instead said, God, we're just going to leave this to you. You know what he did, Nehemiah? He felt the oppression. He felt the ridicule. He felt the opposition. And he simply went to the Lord. You know, he did is what you and I should do. We simply should get God in on it and then give it to God. Hey, when you face opposition, just get God in on it and, get, and then give it to God. You might pray and offer God some suggestions. We all do that. And, and, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Right, Jesus stated to the disciples, when you pray, hey, don't pray as the hypocrites do to be seen of men. Pray to be heard of God. Paul wrote, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You know what? God cares about the big details of your life, but God also cares about the small suggestions in your life. God cares about what's going on. God wants you to take it to him. And so what do you and I do when we face opposition the very first time? Man, when you face that coworker that is attacking you, when you face a situation or a trial in your relationship, what do you do when opposition is staring you in the face? Number one, you get God in on it. And then you leave it with him. You know what they did? They continued with this. Look at verse number seven and verse number eight. It came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, when they heard the walls were being built... The breaches began to be stopped. They were wroth. And what they do? They conspired all of them. Now they're all in on it. Now it's not just Samballot and Tobiah. Now it's all of the people. And they, uh, they gathered together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. You see that phrase where they conspired all of them. Now you have all of these groups uh, increasing in anger and all of them increasing in opposition and all of them declaring war on Jerusalem. Hey, we're going to attack you. And what's happening now for Nehemiah is, you know, it's since they took it to God, right? Verse number four, hear, O God, they prayed, everything became hunky-dory. Is that what we just read? No. This is just a little side thought this morning, but just because you prayed over something doesn't mean that the trial is going to end. Just because you prayed over something doesn't mean that God is a genie in the bottle and like, okay, problem solved. Okay, life's better again. No, the fact of the matter is that there's gonna be times in your life when the devil is going to attack and attack and attack and trials are gonna come and come again and pile up and it's gonna be one suitcase on top of another suitcase and baggage and more baggage and things piling up seemingly insurmountable. That's what took place in their life. Now they're facing all these trials, but look at verse number nine. Nevertheless, hey, we're facing more. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. Wow. Wow. Man, here they are facing trials. And what they do? They went to God. 
Man, they went to God in prayer. Man, give it to God, get God in on it and then give it to him. You know what the answer always is? Ridicule came, God, we need you. Intimidation came, God, we need you. We'll see in a little bit, discouragement came, God, we need you. The answer is always, God, we need you. The answer in your life should always be, God, we need you. The answer in your life should always be, he is sufficient and I am not. He is the answer and I, I am not. He knows the questions and sometimes I do not. You see, what we like to do is when opposition comes, we're like that little kid on the playground. You know that somebody may, maybe if we were in their situation, Tobiah says, even a fox will tear down your walls. We're like that third grader. Oh yeah, well a fox would tear down your walls too. You remember that in grade school? Yeah, you remember parents telling you, I've said it before, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They lied. You lied to me, dad. And the truth is words hurt. And you know what happens when words come and when oppression comes and when opposition comes and ridicule comes? If you're like me, you want to bow up at them. You want to have, all right, bring it. You know what Nehemiah did? He said, God, God, you bring it. God, you get in on this. Our first response should always be, God, I wonder what's your first response when trials come? What's your first response when reality sets in? What's your first response? Hey, what's your first response when plans don't go the way you thought they would? What's your first response? We try to manipulate. We try to stack people on our side. We try to get people to play games and, and be on our team. The truth is that it's when we run out of options that we go to God. Can I tell you, God should always be our first option. God should always be our first option. When opposition comes, number one, we go to God in prayer. Number two, what do we do when opposition comes our way? What did they do? Well, when opposition comes our way, we should keep doing what we can. Hey, keep doing what you can. Notice in our passage in Nehemiah, Chapter number four, verse number six. Nehemiah chapter four, this is right after they ended their prayer. Notice what it says. <clears throat> so, built we the wall. <laughs> hey, we prayed, and then we went back to work. Built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof for the people. I love that. For the people had a mind to work. After the ridicule, they they prayed, they trusted God with the situation, and you know what they did? They kept doing what they could. They kept doing what they could. And while they made recommendations as to what God could do in the situation, they knew they couldn't handle it, and so they prayed, and they just left it with God. Hey, God, here's what we think you should do, but we're just gonna keep doing what you've called us to do. And they trusted God, and they moved forward. You know what they did? They didn't allow critics to sidetrack them. We'll see this in just a minute. But they had a mind to work. Their mind, that, that phrase literally means their mind was set upon their work. Nothing else consumed their thinking except for the task at hand and for the overruling cause of God and his glory and the people of God. They courageously just gave it to God and moved on. Look at verse number nine. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. And then what? And we set a watch. We set a watch against them day and night because of them. Well, what does this mean? After the intimidation of the people, 
right? Uh, Tobiah or Samballat and Tobiah, verse number one through three, there's the ridicule. And so they, they prayed and then they kept building. Verse seven and eight, now everybody's joining in and trying to intimidate them. Hey, we're gonna attack you and we're gonna attack you. You know what they did? They kept building and they set a watch. What's that mean? They set a watch. They became vigilant. They said, we're not gonna be lazy in this. They said, we're gonna set up some, some guards. We're gonna set up some people who are working and guarding. We're gonna, we're gonna fortify ourselves a little bit in this situation. We're going to uh, take account of where we are weak and we're gonna set a watch there. Not only did they pray, but they said, we don't, we don't have to have a bunch of weaknesses. You know what they did? They, they prepared, prepared for an attack. We know they probably, they're probably gonna come at us again, so let's be aware, let's set a watch, let's be vigilant, let's, let's secure the areas that need securing, and there are some things maybe that we could, we could control in this, and hey, why don't you guys make sure that that hole gets filled, and hey, over there, that gate isn't sealed up yet. Let's make sure we get that gate sealed. Why? Because we're going to do what we can. There are some things that we can handle. There are some things that God did put within our control. And they couldn't control what others were doing, but they could control what they were doing. Let me just say this morning that in your life and in my life, sometimes when opposition comes, we get so stuck on what everybody else is doing. And sometimes in our, listen, listen this morning, this isn't even on my notes, I just feel led to say it. Sometimes in your life and in my life, we have situations that don't go our way and we begin to blame everybody else. We're like the junior hire that can't accept the responsibility that their room's not clean when mom and dad said, hey, clean your room. Oh, well, it's not my fault. I mean, I was on like a great, listen, Fortnite, we almost won. I was, I was playing Call of Duty and we had this, listen, I leveled up in this. Listen, uh, and that's what we do sometimes. We're going through situations, listen, we're going through situations in our life where trials are literally staring us in the face. And instead of saying, you know what, God, there's probably some things I could do to help this situation. I could maybe make some right choices. I could maybe get in the word of God. I could maybe be a person of prayer. I could maybe work on my marriage from my end. I could work on parenting. I could address my life before I try to address their life. There are some things that I could do in this situation. No, instead we go, uh, God, um, help them and help them and help them and do something for them and God make them. And you know what we need to do sometimes? We need to realize I need to go to God in prayer but then I need to begin to work on the things that I already know God wants me to do. Man, keep doing those things. Keep building the wall. After praying, they trusted God with the situation. Excuse me, and they just kept doing what they could. You know, they knew, they knew that their priority was lifting up the name of Jesus and pointing others to him, and that's our priority as well. Man, in your life and in my life, as you and I move forward for God, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be ridicule and intimidation. But you know what we do? We, we get concerned about the name and the glory of Jesus Christ, and we just keep moving forward for him. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? I mean, watching and praying is together in Scripture. 
Matthew 26, verse 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus to his disciples, the, the night just hours before he would go to the cross, he says, hey, pray, but also be prepared. 1 Peter 5, 8, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's prayer. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You wanna know why? most mighty armies fall? You want to know why most mighty cities back in the day would fall in warfare? It's because they, they left out the preparation in one area or another. You want to know why some Christians don't move forward for God and why some people take that step and then just fall back? You know, I'm going to move forward in this and then just fall back. It's because we pray, but sometimes we don't prepare. And set a watch. Watch and pray. Prayer and preparation go hand in hand. Pray and prepare. Why? Because you are not as strong as you think you are. Man, you're not as strong as you think you are. The devil, he's stronger. But he's not stronger than the God that is within you. What do we do when opposition comes? We get to God in prayer. We keep doing what we can. Number three, remind yourself. Listen, don't miss this one. Remind yourself of the God you serve. Remind yourself of the God you serve. I don't have time to really read all of the verses, but in Nehemiah chapter four, verse 10 through 12, we read them just a second ago. <coughs> the people of Judah, some of the men from, from Judah, they, they're discouraged. And they begin to say, hey, the enemy is surrounding us. And they begin to say, hey, uh, the, there's so much trash. There's so much work to do. Hey, we're really tired. And you know what takes place is the opposition now is not from outside of the wall. The opposition is now from within the wall. Men of Judah, they, they would be the countrymen, people who were building with Nehemiah and with all of those listed in uh, Nehemiah chapter number three. And many of them were probably listed for us in Nehemiah chapter number three. And now they're, they're facing the sneaky attack of discouragement. This is Job's wife saying to Job, Job, just curse God and die. This is Peter after the crucifixion, saying to the other disciples, man, I'm just going back to fishing. This is the discouragement that screams so loudly in your life, what's worth it? Why is it worth it? Why even try? Man, I just keep messing all these things up. Man, they, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes in your life and in my life, it's not the outward opposition that has the upper hand. It's, the own vo it's our own voice that we listen to, the voice of discouragement. It is. And we get discouraged over situations and over people and over circumstances and over things that are out of our control and things that were in our control that we maybe made a, a, a false or a wrong choice in. And you know what we do? We get that attitude. We get that attitude of that dejected child on a sports team after they struck out walking back with the bat, going to mom or going to dad and saying, dad, I quit. I never want to play baseball again. Dad, I never want to play basketball again. You see that? I missed the free throw. Dad, did you? 
And we allow, listen, we allow the voice of discouragement to scream into our ears when the voices of ridicule and opposition and intimidation, they didn't do anything. That's what happened here. You know what happened? The people began to get discouraged. Can I say today, when I am discouraged, discouragement becomes the filter by which I manage all the information of my life. Boy, isn't that good? Isn't that true? When you and I get discouraged, you know what we do? We begin to view everything, everything through the paradigm of discouragement. And so for these in Jerusalem, because of discouragement, every bit of information that came their way, and you can go through, we, we don't have the time to do it, but go through and read the following verses. Everything that came their way, they were like, oh no. And when you look at verse number uh, 14, or excuse me, verse number uh, 12, when it says that they came to us 10 times, they repeatedly came. You know why? Because they were hearing the enemy saying, hey, we're going to come attack. And so they were coming back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, they're at it again. Nehemiah, we're so discouraged. They came repeatedly 10 times, just time after time after time. You know what? Every time they heard something new, they viewed it through discouragement. When I'm discouraged, that discouragement becomes that filter through which I manage all of life's information. And then because of all of that, we interpret it as why try. But notice what they did. Nehemiah, he didn't get discouraged. Notice what Nehemiah did. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, hey, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. Hey, remember your Lord. You know what? When discouragement set in, you know what Nehemiah did? He, he prepared, he used the information instead of filtering it through discouragement. He said, all right, we're gonna prepare just in, t- in case an attack comes, but I want you to remember the Lord. You know what? When discouragement comes in your life and my life, we need to look to God. Hey, look to God. Hey, call to mind. Call to your mind. Remember the Lord. It means call to your mind the Lord. Remind yourself. What do I remind yourself? Notice what he says. Hey, remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. You serve a powerful and an awesome God. Get your eyes on him. Hey, Judah, quit looking at the rocks. Hey, Judah, quit looking at the decay. Hey, Judah, quit looking at the opposition. Hey, Judah, quit looking at the enemy. Hey, Judah, lift up your eyes. Hey, look up. I feel like that was kind of a theme through 2020. Man, I feel like it was a theme through 2020. Why? Because so many things going on. And sometimes as Christians, we can allow discouragement. We can allow the filter by which we view everything to be our own discouraged heart. And you need to understand, and I need to understand this morning, God's answer is, hey, look up. Hey, you are not alone. Hey, you have a God that loves you and you have a God that cares for you and you have a God that is concerned about you and you have a God that is on your side and Romans 8, you have victory in him and you are more than a conqueror and that God which loved you said you can do all things when I strengthen you. Hey, listen, don't get discouraged. Why? You can look up. Hey, remember who you serve and this week, discouragement's gonna attack you. Look up. Remember who you serve. Remind yourself to remember the Lord. Think of what David said in Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. He said, how precious are thy thoughts unto me. 
Oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Can I say this morning, when discouragement comes your way, don't take counsel of your fear and your discouragement. Instead, take counsel of the fact that you serve a mighty and a great God. Hey, don't let opposition and discouragement tear you down because it is coming. Remind yourself who you serve. When opposition comes your way, get to God in prayer. Keep doing what you can. Remind yourself of the God you serve. And lastly, and very quickly today, don't get sidetracked. Hey, don't get sidetracked. Realize, realize that it's worth it. Where do we see this? Nehemiah 4.14. He said, remember the Lord that he is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You know what Nehemiah did? He drew the focus. Hey, focus on the Lord and remember it's about people. Hey, it's about him and it's about people. Can I tell you this morning, when discouragement comes, mom, your kids are watching you. When discouragement comes, hey, dad, your kids are wanting to emulate you. And when discouragement comes, hey, grandparents, they're watching you. Hey, your coworkers looking at you. Hey, your aunt and your uncle and your brother and your sister and that, that friend and that son and that daughter, your relatives, they are looking at you and people in Moses Lake, they are looking at you. What are they needing to see? They need to see how great your God is. Oh, Nehemiah didn't say, hey, hey, fight because you're worth it. and You want people to think you're mighty. No, he said, remember the Lord and know that your family's worth it. Your friends are worth it. Your brethren are worth it. Your kids are worth it. Hey, people are worth it. So keep moving forward. Hey, keep building. Hey, keep making those steps. Hey, keep picking up those stones. Yeah, there's a lot of rubbish here but start picking it up and putting it back where it goes. Yeah, there's some things that are out of our control. Pray and prepare. And I love the passage. Why? Because Nehemiah demonstrates for us, hey, opposition is going to come. Ridicule is going to come. Intimidation is going to come. Discouragement is going to come. But what do we do? We pray. We prepare. We remind ourselves who our God is. And then we don't get sidetracked. Man, keep moving forward. Are things going to be difficult at times? Uh, yeah. And in here today, there are people that could say, Pastor, it's difficult right now. Pastor, I went through it last year. Pastor, I went through it 10 years ago. I don't mean to embarrass my dad, but I've watched my dad now for, uh, man, it'll be 10 years in May of just battling cancer up and down. 10 years, five times, I mean, just crazy situations. And, and I know he's transparent with us, but he won't ever get up here and say, man, I've had a really rough week. Boy, I had a really rough day today. Man, I didn't sleep. I haven't slept in this many days. He, he won't do that. But you know what? I've been around him at times. And I know he's discouraged. At times discouraged. And at times wondering like, God, God, why are you allowing this? And I bring that up to say every single one of us have situations in our life when we go, God, like what's going on? We have ridicule. We have discouragement. We have intimidation. We have those things. We have the devil attacking. 
But can I tell you today, your God is stronger and your family's worth it. Your kids are worth it. Your coworkers are worth it. Your brothers and sisters in Christ and our church and this town and the cause of Jesus, it's worth it. So do what? Keep building. Hey, keep serving. Hey, keep doing what you know you need to be doing. Keep getting up and spending time in the word of God. Keep praying. Keep leading. Keep giving. Keep coming to church. Keep witnessing to that coworker. Keep praying for that friend. Hey, don't get sidetracked. I love all of the different verses through this. But basically, and I just want to get to it this morning, the fact is this, that you are involved in an incredible thing as you move forward for the Lord and take steps for him. So don't quit. Hey, don't quit. Verse 16 through 23, it basically describes that they trusted God and they just kept moving forward. Chapter five, more opposition's gonna come. People within the camp that begin to get greedy and begin to lose sight of the, of the mission. You know what they kept doing? They just kept building. When you, when you and I take any steps for God, we can know opposition will come. It's a small step just to even be in church And isn't it interesting that Sundays are sometimes the hardest time to get up in the mornings? (laughs) Hardest time to get the family ready. You have little kids and you get them all, you know, all uh, dressed up and ready to go and you got their little sneakers on them. Then you go to leave and little sneakers are gone. (laughs) During the summer, you get them all ready and all clean and you go to leave and they're out playing in the yard and the dirt's covering them. During the winter, you're getting ready to come to church and, and something happens where you can't. Well, what is that? Oh, it's just, just coincidence. Uh, no. No, mark it down. When you and I take a step for God, the devil will do whatever he can to fight against it. So here's what I want to encourage you with today. Don't quit. What do I do? Go to God in prayer. What do I do? Keep doing what you can. What do I do? Hey, remind yourself who it is you're serving. What do I do? Don't get sidetracked. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.